Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A lot of my time is spent putting people off. <laughs> I can attest to that. Because, I sit across from Melissa. Be- because, nice problem to have. <laughs> because the, the thing is, I could book up immediately, and I want to leave room for people who suddenly come up. That's Melissa Egan. She's the executive producer of The Leonard Lopate Show. And while you don't hear her voice on the air, she is behind every minute aspect of this show, especially the booking. I'm Shamita Basu, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of the best moments from the live event. Here's Melissa, along with journalist Kelly Goff, Freakonomics' Irva Gunja, and Death, Sex, and Money's Katie Bishop on the art of pitching and booking guests. So welcome to The Art of the Ask. As they mentioned, I am Kelly Goff, the host of Political Party with Kelly Goff, a live event series here. And I'm going to do a shameless plug alert. Our next one is Monday evening at 7 o'clock here. And it's called Political Party because it is legitimately a party. We have cocktails and then we talk politics, which is how we believe politics should always be discussed. (laughs) Um, Maybe people would be more polite to each other. So uh, we're discussing the Supreme Court, which, as you may know, has some pretty important decisions about to be announced. So please come out and join us. Um, And so our guest, Katie Bishop, is a producer of the weekly podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. Irva Gunja is executive producer of the weekly podcast and radio show Freakonomics. And Melissa Egan is the executive producer of a show you've probably heard of called The Leonard Lopate Show, which airs live for two hours every weekday here on WNYC. So thanks so much, ladies, for joining us here. Um, I have to say, uh, I'm going to go off script for a moment since I already shamelessly uh, plugged my own show and say that sometimes life brings you pretty humbling experiences. And one of the most humbling for me has actually been hosting my own show for the first time because now I'm on the other side moving from being a guest booked by lovely people like yourself to now having to book people. And I have a secret. It's not that easy. It's not as easy as it looks. So I was actually really excited to have this conversation. And one of the things I actually want to start with, I'm going to go off script here for a second, is you know we have a diverse panel of ladies here. I think we're a pretty good example of diversity, the buzzword everyone loves to use. And yet one of the things that you often, we all have seen, whether it's on television or in listening to the radio or podcast, is a lot of shows actually are not as diverse as the stage right here. And so, but all of the ladies on this stage, some of whom have booked me before, actually are really great with making sure that the guests that they book for their programs are representative of their audience and of our country at large. So I guess the question I wanted to start with, whoever wants to take this one, is we often hear from people when they get criticized for their lack of diversity on guests, such as the cable news shows, which regardless of the network, most of the cable news networks are actually pretty terrible usually when it comes to racial diversity in their guests, with white males being often the most predominant guest a little stat here, the coverage of the birth control mandate with Obamacare, they found that male guests outnumbered female guests discussing the issue two to one on every cable network. So it wasn't just, you know. So with that in mind, the defense you often hear is, well, we try. If we could just, if we could only find more diverse guests, we'd be, we'd be thrilled to diversify our lineup. So all of these other people are trying and failing. What secret do you all know to get it right to find all of these, you know, hard to find diverse guests who are like unicorns and impossible to find? What are your secrets? 
I don't feel like it's been, I mean, I think it's a really important thing to be conscious of and make sure that you are doing it. But I think it's, I think that there are so many amazing guests out there that, you know, it's, it hasn't been an issue for us. Um, you know, we have been really fortunate to feature some really amazing guests on our show who um, I think we've had a pretty diverse lineup so far. So you have Katie, but I guess my question is, I I have felt like, do you think it's just a different worldview that you bring to the table? Do you think it's because it's, it makes a difference if the show has more female producers or do you think it's, I mean, what do you think it is? Because I feel like, because you called me, you're someone who thought of me. Yeah. And I know that there are producers who just never even, I just, it just never crossed their mind. Yeah. I mean, I think the way I found you was through, you know, reading, reading your work, which was like in The Root and online, Um, you know, and I I knew that you were an amazing talker and, you know, so, (laughs) so it was, you know, it was like, I, I knew that you, you know, could, could be on the show and, you know, could speak really knowledgeably. And, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you all think? Uh, well, before I worked at Freakonomics, I worked for a daily news program here at WNYC called The Takeaway, which is on every day, and it is a national program, and so we were booking roughly, I would say, six to eight guests a day, and um, I would say we were incredibly cognizant of who we were booking, and I just think it's important to be cognizant, to know what the racial breakdown is of the guests, what the gender breakdown is of our guests, and to really think about how our host is this white man and is going to bring that very particular perspective to things. So if we want other perspectives, then we need to be pretty active in looking for that. And so we looked for it all the time. I'd say some topics were much easier than others and then there were some where it was really honestly very challenging. I work at Freakonomics now and uh, finding economists is really hard. I mean, it is really, really hard to find economists who are not white men. They just oftentimes are. Um, There are like a we have a bank of great women, but it doesn't mean that they're the right women for the given topic. Mm -hmm. And often what we're doing is we're covering uh, we're covering social science papers and the authors of those social science papers are who they are. We mm-hmm. can't change who they are, and they oftentimes are white men. And so uh, when we are in that position or you know, at the takeaway in that position, uh, it's about really trying hard to make sure that there are some other voices in this conversation, mm-hmm. that there are some other voices that we're going to be able to bring into that hour, even if it means rebooking things or canceling guests that we've booked. Um, we used to literally look at our rundown every day, and, or when I worked there, we looked at the rundown every day, and we would just assess who's on the show today and is this good enough and if it's not good enough then we just have to try harder i think it's a matter of just consciously looking and and it's a choice you know look at you you're an articulate person and you're there and and there are countless people who are out there and you just need to to um be aware and look for them but we have not had issues at all so I think maybe the way to solve the problem is have more diverse producers, is what yes. I'm kind of hearing, yeah. who actually bring a worldview and consciousness of the issue. Um, because I I, uh, I have to tell a, a funny story that someone I know who shall remain nameless was saying that they were talking to someone about doing a, a particular women's show, and they were congregating and getting feedback um, from a couple of men. And it took about three minutes before the men started pitching male names. Didn't even realize that that's what was kind of happening because they just kind of fell into, well, this person's a great guest. So um, I just, I think the, again, having more women around is helpful. That's my, <laughs> that's yeah. my, my, my own bias. Um, so uh, moving on to, to f- how, how you actually find the great guests. Do you want to share any insights you might have on the title of this program, which is really the art of the ask, like how to ask, how not to ask, 
I have some horror stories of how I've been asked badly to appear on, show, on shows, which I'm happy to share if anyone finds it helpful. Sure. Do you want to start with your horror story? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I've, well, I've had so many. I mean, the, well, so I guess one really funny in a horrifically unfunny kind of way is I, I think, so first, the first thing is when people just assume that every person on this planet is desperate for any kind of coverage and desperate to say yes to any request, and that comes through in the ask. So for example, you know, I know I like to think of myself as a fairly serious writer, and I remember once I heard from a producer of a, of a very prominent show when the Tiger Woods scandal broke, and they said, Kelly, we're, we're mulling over an idea for a segment, and we thought of you. And I said, okay, well, what's the segment? And they said, well, we're, we're thinking about maybe doing something on the fact that all of the women Tiger Woods is alleged to have had an affair with are white. And I said, okay, what's the, I don't, well, we were just wondering if maybe they're, like, as a black woman, you have thoughts on that. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not following. So you, you expect me to be offended on behalf of black women that they were not the women a man who doesn't identify as black chose to have an affair with. I, I don't... And then I... And no, normally I'll help people remove the foot from their mouth, but instead I just stayed quiet after I said it out loud. I repeated it back to him. And he goes, Oh, um... Okay, we'll circle back. We'll circle back. You'll be shocked to hear they did not circle back. Right? But that kind of, like, ridiculousness, that, of course, impacted my thoughts on that producer, right? Because how could it not? So I, I, I feel like part of the art of the ask is making it clear that there is a, is a legitimate reason we thought you would be good for this slot, this show, and that's specifically why I came to you, not just because I was, you know, spitballing in a meeting and had to come back with a couple of names for a semi-ridiculous ask. So... What tips do you all have for getting the guests that you really want? Yeah. Um, well, for us, you know, on our show, uh, which is Death, Sex, and Money, we do sort of a broad mix of celebrities and sort of regular people or non-celebrity people. Um, and uh, the celebrity guests that we get on the show, you know, a lot of them um, have demonstrated sort of a willingness to be open or sort of vulnerable in the past, but maybe haven't done... Um, maybe haven't gone completely like in depth on a certain topic, um, and so we'll, we'll see. Well, you know, this person seems like they're kind of willing to talk about this one particular part of their past, or uh, maybe a relationship that they've had, but they haven't really gone there. Um, and so, you know, we'll sort of talk about, you know, we'll, maybe I'll put that in the request, um, whether it's to them or to their publicist. Um, and then, in terms of you know the the sort of non celebrity people, um, you know, for them, often I am looking for like a particular topic. Um, I remember last summer I got really interested in um, sort of the space shuttle, several of the disasters that have happened and the family members that have been um, left behind. And I started researching, you know, well, have, have those family members ever talked about the experience? Um, and I ended up finding this person who um, had, you know, talked about losing his wife a couple of times, but it had been a long time and he um, had never done like a radio type of interview. Um, and so I reached out to him and sort of explained specifically, you know, what, why I thought that I would want to have him on the show um, and why I thought that our show would be a good fit for him. 
Um, and, and it took him a while, but he ended up saying yes, and it was, it was a really great interview. So, yeah, for us, it's sort of a mix of, you know, asking based on a topic versus, you know, just reaching out to someone who is well-known but um, maybe haven't totally gone there yet. So personalization yes. and persistence. Yes. <laughs> Two keys, personalization, yeah. personalize the request, not just a generic request. Exactly. Personalize why specifically you would yeah. be important to this show, mm-hmm. and then persistence. Totally. Yeah, and then to add on that, I would say um, I think it's really important to be clear with the guest about what the show is, a clear description of what the show, not to assume that people already know your brand or already know your content. So um, I always lead every email with, this is the show I work for, here's what we do, here's who the host is, here's what we cover, here's a link to it, Uh, here's how many people hear the show, where they can hear it, how they can hear it, just a sense of what where they're going to be heard and how big or small or whatever the platform is. Um, If there are topics that I think would be helpful for them to know, I might send them examples of past interviews we've done. So past episodes that we've done, if they want to check it out, if they're kind of unsure whether or not they want to step into this territory or if they sometimes guests are skeptical of the content, um, particularly like Republican guests will be skeptical sometimes of the content. And so sometimes we'll just send them examples of past things we've done so they can see that what we're doing is pretty even-handed and we're not really trying to, uh, you know, it's not like a gotcha interview with some Republican congressperson or something like that. Um, And then uh, I try to tell them what's in it for them, why it's worth their time to do it. So not just that it's great for our show, but, you know, that's ultimately what I'm here to do, but why I think it'll be a great experience for them. So um, I try to make it worth their while. I'll, you know, also I think like just the booking and the logistics is really important too, making things as easy as possible. So knowing where they are in the country, what studio I'm asking them to go to, how much of their time I'm asking them to take of this, and then um, being prepared, like actually having read their material at least a a little bit knowing if they have a book out. If they do have a book out, I'll almost always order the book just to have it on my desk. Even if I only have time to flip through a few pages, at least being familiar with the fact that they've done this stuff. I think it really bothers some guests in particular when you just have no clue what they've written about or what other media they've done or what other commentary they've made on the given topic. So just being prepared and knowing that they are, in a lot of ways, doing you a favor. Um, They are not getting paid for their time. They're giving up time and being appreciative of that. I think that a key thing is to be, um, to let your personality come through in the ask and to be succinct. Because when I get emails that are take too long to get to mm-hmm. what you're going for, um, it can get lost in translation. So you have to use your time and your space quickly. Um, I think that it's important that you communicate that you know them and what they're about. Um, And to put all of the particulars out there, as Irva has said, very quickly. Um, And you can also mention, I would mention people that we've had who might be in a similar way so that they know that they would be in good company as well. Or also, because I know that we've done this, prominent people you've interviewed. Right. That yeah. they will think, oh, this is a this is a real show, right. or awards we've had if they're not at all familiar with the show and stuff like that. So I think those are really important pieces of advice, which is conveying that it's mutually beneficial. Which I think, again, a lot of people forget. I've I've definitely had experiences. I mean, this is even now I get this where you can sense the person thinks they're doing you you a favor, mm-hmm. and there's nothing really more insulting than that because, t- especially if you're not paying someone, time is my most valuable um, commodity. And mm-hmm. so someone acting like 
it's only two hours. It's like, well, I could get a lot of writing done in two hours, you know, and, and it's, there has to be a reason for me to do the show. And even if that reason is just that it's having an opportunity to talk about something I really care about or that I've written that I really care about or reaching an audience that's different, there are ways to convey that. But I, I do find it really, especially now, particularly grading when you can tell a booker's kind of like, hey, I have a slot for you on insert name of show. And you're like, mm. it's like, great. Right. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> But also what Katie was saying about, and what you alluded to about persistence, I don't, in this day and age when you, as everyone here, I'm sure, gets a gazillion emails each day, I don't assume that everyone reads the email that I send. You can lose it. So I often resend things and... um, even though the person may be great, even though they may really want to do it, they may miss the email. And also, I can't tell you how many emails will go, as you guys know, um, before you actually book a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And just remembering to be back in touch with them. Yeah. 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 And can you, well, can you talk a bit, Melissa, because I know your show is really popular about, and it's been on a long time, about um, the balance between you actually having to hit the ground running still booking versus how many pitches you're probably inundated with. A lot of my time is spent putting people off. (laughs) I can attest to that. I sit across from Melissa. Nice problem to have. (laughs) Because the, the thing is, I could book up immediately, and I want to leave room for people who suddenly come up um for instance a couple of weeks ago I had a spot and and all of a sudden um Gloria Estefan was available and I had a spot for her I could have booked that up yeah you know so I like to have some kind of flexibility some wiggle room so that I can choose who I want and I'm not just saying yes to everything that's potentially good. Can you? That's a great segue. Um, I didn't know you were going to mention Gloria Stefan, but <laughs> can can you actually though talk about the balance when you're booking between booking names and booking people who are actually great on air? I'm not saying Gloria Stefan's not anyone. I don't want that to get misconstrued. But you know, we've all seen instances where someone who had who was amazingly famous in the interview just tanked because that's just not their strong suit. So how do you kind of find that balance between? You know, we want people our listeners have all heard of, but we also want people who can keep the conversation moving along when you're booking. How do you know? Anyone who wants to? I mean, for us, you know, when we have celebrities on, they usually are actors, so they're pretty well versed in, you know, having a conversation and having it go well. But um, when we have people who aren't as practiced um, on the microphone, our, our show is not live. You know, it's pre-taped, so we do have some opportunity for editing and um, you know, cutting things that maybe didn't go well um, in the conversation. But um, I don't know. I found that I don't I don't have to spend a ton of time doing, like, prepping people. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that when people are sort of telling their own stories, um, I want to let them tell it the way that they want to tell it. And um, I think that, you know, the quirky way that someone speaks or, or maybe if someone you know, gets nervous or upset while they're, while they're sharing that. That's okay on our show. On other shows, you know, that maybe that wouldn't work as well, but. Well, let me, um, let me phrase it a different way. Cause what I found now, now that I, again, I'm on the other side is that I do feel it's a bit like matchmaking. Yeah. That's what I found where I feel like 
you're trying to guesstimate the chemistry of of the guests, and I and I'm still very much figuring it out. And I'm just curious how, how over the years you guys have started to figure out, like, you know, I'm making this up. If we put, um, you know, if we get Justice Ginsburg on, then we need to have this person because she talks a certain way, or she's not gonna be as forthcoming on this. So we're gonna have to have someone else to balance out. That how do you kind of figure that out when you're booking or does it, is that something that you're really conscious of when you're I'd give Justice Ginsburg the whole hour <laughs> <laughs> um, but no definitely I think that when you have celebrities you want to see I mean like Katie said I think when especially when things are pre-recorded and you have the opportunity to listen to it I mean the people we are serving is our audience and that's first and foremost. So you want to make sure that whatever product you're putting out there has a lot of substantive quality for your audience. And after you have the ability to hear how something got recorded and you know what its potential is once it starts to go through the production and the editing process, you decide whether or not it's good enough. And if it's good enough and there's enough substance there and if it's going to kind of elicit the reaction that you want it to elicit, I think that's great. And when it's not, I think then a name isn't usually good enough. I think a name only takes you so far, and you can have a couple of minutes of a great name, but, you know, you you want the conversation to be engaging and interesting, and you want people to have something real that they can take away from it. And when Mm -hmm. they can't, then that's when you need to supplement it, at the very least, with something else that's a little bit more real. Mm -hmm. I I think that if we know how a person is, then we go into the interview, say... Joan Didion. Joan Didion is incredibly nervous, incredibly anxious. Um, but you would want to have Joan Didion. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to turn Joan Didion down. No one so, turns Joan Didion down. <laughs> so you you need to factor that in and and let the interview be real. Acknowledge that the person is is. Um, anxious or you know has issues and like when we knew that she wanted a lot of water we had three glasses of water in front of her you know but be let let them be them and and it's a it's up to the um how you've prepared the interview and how you draw them out and make them feel comfortable you know when we had and I'm, I don't mean to name drop, but when we had Please Michelle... Do. This is the right panel to do that on. <laughs> when we had Michelle Williams, um, pretty soon after Heath Ledger had died, mm. and it was for her film Wendy and Lucy, and the publicist said, who knew us very well, who said, now you're not going to bring that up. And I said, of course not. You know, that would be insulting. We're not that kind of a show. And she felt that she was in a safe place, and it was a really good interview. But you have, to, you have to let them know that they are who they are and that we can deal with it. Um, and subsequently, she came back, you know. But, yeah. So what I'm hearing for you is, is great, great interviews more of a priority than names. But names can help. It's all part of the mix. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, will, we will do... I made room for this quirky... Um, combination of er, very early O'Neill plays mm. that's in the East Village next week as opposed to a lot of stuff on Broadway but we also did Long Day's Journey and Tonight. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to have the range of things that are on in mm-hmm. the city. And let's just talk about some of the logistics of knowing of when you're putting in an ask such as what's the best format, email versus phone, 
we talked about persistence being a plus. Where's the fine line between persistence and driving someone insane? It was funny. I had a recent experience actually with a publicist who was pitching me a story that I liked, but it really went from friendly to stalker territory in a span of like 48 hours. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I ever want to hear from this person again. How do you find that balance? I mean, for us... We generally do them over email, but sometimes if I know if I know the publicist or I know the person, I'll call them. Um, and sometimes if I don't have a contact for someone, I will like tweet at them just to see like, hey, can you you know do you do you want to give me your email address? Here's our inbox. Here's my email. That that has worked before for mm. us. Um, and then has social media made it easier to book? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. On, on At least end. easier to find people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And to, and I'm gonna ask the naughty question and to get around publicist. Have you found that? I haven't done that intentionally, but um, I think it probably would help. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I mean, also publicists can be your best friend too. Like it it really, I think having a great relationship with a publicist can be helpful, um, but it's certainly not the the, the only way to get somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I start on email almost always. Um, I think especially for the kind of things that I'm booking for now at Freakonomics, uh, they are bigger, thinky pieces, and I don't think in a phone call I could convey it as well as I can in an email. And then also I want the person to actually take the time and think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I want them to think about the pitch, make sure they feel good about the pitch, know that they want to do it. I'm not really trying to find catch people off guard. Um, and again, like Katie's show, we're not live, we're not daily, so I have the luxury of a lot of time, and I can give people 24 hours to get back to me, and that's okay. Um, I'll usually reach out, I would say, a maximum of three times before I'm like, all right, I'm done here. Um, And I'll give them, you know, my best pitch. If if I get a sense that they're hesitant, then I'll come back to them with reasons why I think they should should do it. Um, I'll try probably another time, and then if they just don't want to, I'm not going to push it beyond that. I primarily, I will um, do by email. I sometimes will call somebody, get, will get their, their answering machine, email them, and hear back from them. Um, so primarily by email. In terms of um, my reaching out to people, I will do more than three times. Mm. Um, <laughs> I will go on for weeks. <laughs> but, um, <the> th- <laughs> um, and sometimes longer than that. <laughs> but the thing is that I will, in my, I, I feel that I have the excuse to be annoying and I will, but I will say, I hope I am not being annoying <laughs> when I am annoying. Um, <laughs> and then in terms of dealing with people who are coming at me too much, I will just tell them, sometimes just answering them and saying, I cannot deal with you now. Right. Um, I will deal with you at this point. We'll stop them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Otherwise, I, uh, one other thing, when, you, when there's somebody that you think you might be interested in and you just let it go along, it's better to nip it in the bud earlier and say, no, I really don't want to do this because those are the people that will go on forever. Right. Do you guys have any horror stories you're willing to share? I wasn't supposed to ask that, but I'm so curious. <laughs> what kind of horror stories? <laughs> I don't know. You, you can change the names or not give names, or is there anything really kooky that's happened in your 
booking travails? Uh, I've had horror stories. Um, I've worked on uh, Daily News for a, I worked on Daily News for a really long time, and so uh, you just you have horror stories that happen. I think more often than you probably want them to. But uh, my biggest horror story is without any names is just I was like 15 minutes from going live to air. I had a guest who was booked. Um, we were doing the interview over Skype. It was just audio, no video involved. And um, her Skype connection wasn't really working. It wasn't sounding good. It kept cutting out. And so I said to her, why don't you log off and log back on? Because sometimes it just does the trick. So she logs off. She can't remember her username and her password. (laughs) So she can't log back on. And then she just loses it. She, like, loses it. And she, um, I mean, I've never been yelled at that hysterically by someone. Wow. Ever. And um, I mean, we, and I was the line producer in the scenario. So I'm the person in charge of our control room. And I'm just like getting screamed at and I've got live stuff going on. And I've got to get her on the air or dump her, I guess. Like, I'm not really sure what to do because she doesn't seem capable of going live in two minutes and being a civilized human being. <laughs> and um, anyway, it was horrible. It was like a really traumatizing experience. Wow. And all I could do was ask her to like calm down and ask her if she wants to do this or doesn't want to do this interview and I told her she could back out but that if she does it she needs to just take a breath and like stop and pause um and then um and then I told my boss to yell at her (laughs) and he did (laughs) so he like ended up following up and um on my behalf and it was but it was yeah I mean you know bad things happen all the time and I mean my best piece of advice is just it's not really personal at all Mm -hmm. and uh People have lots of stuff going on and things, I think, that are oftentimes beyond her control. And I think in this case, she really did have life stuff happening Mm -hmm. that sent her over the edge. And um, ultimately, I just got to put the show on. So that's what I've got to work on, putting the show on. So the other piece of advice is it's not personal, but but also you got to keep going. You can't. And also, don't yell back, right? Like, there's almost (laughs) no value in that. And there's almost no value in not just being nice all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. just be the bigger person. Be the better person. Um... Again, like, you are the person who put in the initial ask. And, like, what is the, like, there's only bad things come from being mean one time. Like, then you just kind of always burn that bridge, whereas you always just want to be the bigger person. And who cares even if you have to swallow some pride? Yeah. I feel like um, I I can't think of any crazy horror stories. But um, for us, like, the thing that always gives me the most fear is just like when you book an event or you book something kind of far in advance and then you that's just the beginning of the relationship and then you have to maintain you know check in and maintain the relationship with whoever you've booked with um sort of throughout that time um and you know the fear is always that like something will happen or something will come up or it will fall apart in some way um i know <laughs> so right monthly, during this monthly series right yes. so it's scary yeah so i find that to be the scariest thing of all but I love what you just said because it touches upon something that we, we kind of briefly discussed in the green room, which I think the biggest learning experience for me going primarily from being a guest to now having this own, the series where I, I'm responsible for making sure, along with my producers, that we have solid guests is uh, being reminded how important what you said about being nice to people yeah. and that you know life is a really long road. And I, I have to tell, I've had multiple instances where people have said yes because they know me and they literally said, I mean, I had, there was a guest who did the series who said, I only said yes because you know, you were involved and you've always been nice in the, even when we don't agree on things or have this history. And, um, 
I will share this is not exactly booking, but it's a little bit of a booking thing because I love giving credit to the really gracious people in this industry because there are plenty of people who are not um, (laughs) that we've crossed paths with. And which is for my first book, Party Crashing, which I came out in 2008 and it was on younger voters and voters of color. And one of the first people I put an interview request to was Colin Powell who I didn't know at all. I was completely an unknown writer. There was like no, like if he Googled his office, Googled me, like nothing would come up except like she went to NYU and she's, you know, (laughs) she's a nice student or whatever. And, uh, and I got this, first of all, this is what I learned from his office is anyone who contacts his office for an interview, they're going to kill me because now he's probably going to get flooded with interviews requests. But it's like a two week or three week turnaround, which first of all, is such a lesson because there are very few people I feel like who are more busy or get more requests than his office. But that says something about, you know, you can be that professional even when you're that busy. And then I heard back and they said, listen, um, they said, write a letter. I called and they said, we'll write a letter. And I wrote this letter. And again, I didn't have much to say except like, this is why I really would love to talk to him and I admire him. And I, you know, and I specifically thought of him for this interview request because of, you know, the, the number of people of color who really admire him in that age group. And this is what the research shows. And I did exactly what you said about being specific. And this is one of the first big interview request I put in for my entire writing career. And I heard back from his office and they said, listen, we spoke with General Powell and he said he doesn't know a ton about the topic in a way that he thinks makes him an expert specifically for your book. But based on your letter, if you really think it would be helpful to you, he is willing to give you a few minutes of his Mm -hmm. time. And it was such a like, the moment has always stayed with me. I've remained incredibly grateful because of the level of kindness and generosity in that. Um, Because, you know, the letter trying to, you know, I've tried to make the case in the letter and he's a nice person. Mm-hmm. And so I've always tried to remember, uh, that and, um, that so much of it is about, you know, try- kindness and grace and it always comes back full circle. So just putting out that little shout out. And then I sent him a cheesecake because <laughs> I didn't think he sent a general flowers. So I figured <laughs> a cheesecake is a decent, you know, um, so if, there are any questions, unless you guys have anything else you'd like to add. You have anything else you'd like to add on the art of the ask, or should we open it up to questions? Questions sounds great. Okay. Hi. Any questions? I don't remember what kind of cheesecake, if that's the first question. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. Um, no, my, my question was about, um, um, and I don't know if it's just for Katie, but all circumvent t- uh, talent agents and publicists or go straight for them. In most cases, what's your advice? I generally go to the agent or the contact first. Go through the agent. Yeah, I find that that, I mean, you know, I guess persistence. If, if you really are not getting an answer, like, find a way. But, you know, I, I think generally I, I do put the ask in first officially. Yeah. I do too. I use publicists first. And unless I feel like I'm getting the runaround or unless I have a really legitimate other avenue, and I might do them on parallel tracks, but I try yeah. to go through publicists first. I feel like for most people who have a publicist, it's for a That's why they have I a think publicist. They prefer that, yeah. yeah and and also because you don't want to burn the relationship going forward, either for that contact, that person, or other people that publicists may represent. Right. The, yeah. the only one exception I would make because I have had very rare exceptions, and you got to be really, really careful. The only rare exception I would make is if you really know for a fact in your heart of hearts that this is an issue or something that the the person would care about, but that the publicist is not in their interest to spend their time that way. So I can't think of a really good example off the top of my head, but I can think of multiple people. Well, for example, if you were doing a podcast that was specifically about sexual assault 
and there's an A-list celebrity who has said in an interview like that Kesha this is whatever, right? that this is their issue. Like they right. care about the issue, but they have an album to promote or they have a movie to promote, and that's what the publicist is focused on. And they're not returning, responding to your quote little podcast about this issue. If you go to the person, they might say yes, and that's a valid. That's a moment, but I think they're totally right that this is not. You should not make a habit of alienating. Yeah. So then, I guess the follow up question is: try to create relationships with those people, like work harder to yeah. nurture that more than the guest. Or I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a journalist, I think it's important. the The relationship with the publicist is um, it's a tricky thing. You know, you you want to make sure that you're you don't. Um, it's a relationship that, you know, is important and you want to maintain it, but you also need to be firm about where you stand. And, you know, there are certain lines that probably shouldn't be crossed. But, um, yeah, I think in, in general, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Annie from Science Friday. Um, so there are the people you know you want to book and you dream of booking. And then there are the people you want to talk to just to find out what they have to say and see if you're interested in what they have to offer. So how is that ask? different you know how do you not make promises give them a reason to talk to you you know while not making promises and getting their hopes up which you know you might have to not use them yeah um i make no promises ever um my emails to people are really are really clear though i say this is not like i basically say i just want to talk to you on background almost always and that's how i word my emails and if you'd have 15 minutes of your time i'd love to just get you on the phone and talk on background about this episode we're still not sure what direction we're going to go in which is part of why i want to talk to you i get off the phone with people and i always say all right great let me go talk to my editor that's always what I say when I got the phone. I don't have an editor. And, um, and then I, uh, you know, I just think about it. I think about do I really want them or do I not want them? And I'll kind of just spend like five minutes assessing. And I really try not to make promises um, before I know whether or not I really want someone. Do you all do pre-interviews? Do all of you do pre-interviews? Yes. It depends. What uh, not with, not with, um, not with, unless we are finding people for a topic. But no, it it depends upon Katie. Yeah, we'll do. I mean, if it's like a celebrity, probably not. But um, if the, if it's like a, a person who has written into the show, and you know, I usually will say, I'd love to hear more about your story. Do you have fifteen minutes to talk with me on the phone? And I say, I'm going to take it back to the team, and that is true, actually, in my <laughs> case. <laughs> but that's generally my line. Yeah. What's that follow up? The circle back email sound like? How do you say no with kindness and grace, like we've been talking about? Um, I thank people very much for their time, and I usually say I think we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah. I actually don't really like to close the door generally just because for us, you know, I don't know. Like maybe in a year we might be interested in going down that road. Um, so I, I generally will just say, you know, at this time we're not going to set anything up, but um, I, I usually don't burn the bridge totally. Right, because the other person that you may think will be really great may not be able to do it that day, and you may wind up needing... Yeah. the person that you wouldn't have chosen. Mm-hmm. Hi, um, I'm Jeanette. I produce a podcast called The Remix at WHYY, and I'm loving hearing you guys talk about having to say no to people because that's my dream, to have enough people pitching me <laughs> <laughs> that I have to turn down. Um, so what are some of your tips as you know, podcasts are getting their audience developed, trying to get guests? What are some of your tips for actually getting those pitches and getting on those publicist lists? I love everyone. 
I don't know how I get on the list. I, yeah, it's kind of a mystery. I wish I were on how you are the up. list. I don't know how. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was sort of funny for us. Like, I joined the team about six months into the show's life. Um, and it's funny, like, sort of watching how publicists or people just sort of get to know the show. Like, you know, I think people saw, like, death in the title. And so we got a lot of <laughs> death pitches. And then, you know, sex. And you get all the sex pitches. Um, but now I think people are kind of actually listening to the show and figuring it out um, that, that, you know, it doesn't have to be quite so specific. Um, yeah. yeah, but... I, I can't think of it. I think it's Vocus. Is it still Vocus? Do they still use Vocus? Do you guys know? Okay, so if you really do want to start receiving more pitches, you can get yourself in some of the publicity databases. I have actually begged and pleaded to be taken out of them. Yeah. Um, genuinely, because I was being literally, I felt like 60% of my emails a day yeah. were being um, flooded with pitches, um, not just for this show, but for the writing I do. And I've covered different topics over the years, so I was getting really bizarre. Well, it was a combination of I've covered different things, but also that people don't, a lot of publicists don't read. You know, they don't actually read up on the people they're pitching, which I can give as a tip to you is one of the most frustrating things in the world. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than getting, you can tell the person doesn't get you, doesn't get your worldview, doesn't get what you cover. I actually, or just doesn't, is tone deaf. You know, I got a really, I'm not going to say who it was or what it was about. I got a, a really tone deaf pitch on Monday, right after the Orlando shooting. And I'm someone who writes about politics a lot. And it just really showed me that this person doesn't get where my focus would be that day. And I told them that I said, you know, thank you. I'm, I just find it strange that I write about politics and you would think that this was an appropriate pitch to send me on the Monday morning after the Orlando shooting. Um, so things like that. But what I was going to say is if you research like Vocus and some of the other databases, they, they maintain their contacts based on topics and you can get yourself added if you really are sure you want to yeah. <laughs> um, based on the topics that you cover. I think that I would think of where the guests are, whether they're in publications or in uh, magazines or whatnot, that you would want to be having and then reach out to the main publicist there. And then more interviews you will do, the word will spread. And we have a question over here. Yeah, I, um, I'm Sylvia. Thank you so much for this. Um, I had a question about after the, the pre-interview, sort of your process for prepping guests, um, and how much do you share in terms of your list of questions or a, a script that you may have? Um, speaking from personal experience, I actually had the opportunity to be a guest on The Takeaway recently, and I was just upstairs waiting um, before going on air, and um, the producer said, okay, here's, here's our pages for the interview if you'd like to look through, and um, they you know, scripted out the questions and sort of what information they were hoping to get from me, um, and it was a little complicated because there were clips we were going to play, so, um, but I actually chose not to read it through because I knew it would make me more nervous and feel like I had to you know, hit these points, so I was like, no, I'll just, I'll just go. But I also feel like as an interviewer, um, you know, there's a lot to be gained from being spontaneous. And sometimes you don't want to show questions, but sometimes people want to know the questions. So how much do you share um, before they're, you know, on the mic? I think sharing questions is a really, for me, a really bad idea. I never share a list of questions. I am really unhappy at the takeaway producer who did that. (laughs) Um, And uh, I would say that um, I don't want guests prepare question by question. I think they'll sound really scripted. I think there's also this weird, like, weird journalistic thing to that, too. I I don't know. I think that's a really bad strategy. Um, 
I want guests to be prepared, though. I don't want them to be unprepared, and I don't want them to be surprised, particularly for what I'm doing now. I want them to feel like they have the opportunity to prep themselves. So I will do a really rigorous pre-interview, and I will usually send them a bullet list of the points that we want to hit. And I'll ask them to be prepared to talk about these general topic areas. Um, and then beyond that, I will not get more specific than that. Um, yeah. Yeah, we don't. On the whole, we, we will share areas that we will get into. Um, but for the same reasons, I don't want, we don't want it to sound rote. And confirm, because it sounds like a small detail, but it's not, because I've been unhappy with previous bookings of my own um, when this, there's been a misfire, is confirming how the person wants to be introduced, oh, titled... Yeah. And that kind of stuff and what they want plugged because I've had very unpleasant, you know, especially when you're working places, your editors and other people take it very seriously how you're introduced on programs. And I've had some things that it made me really uh, unhappy with the professionalism of the producers by, you know, I've been on air and had my name spelled wrong mm-hmm. on on camera. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really and it was really was one of the clips was something I wanted to use for my reel later. And it literally had my name spelled completely wrong on it. I've been introduced for publications I don't work for. I've been like, you know, I mean, and these sound like small things, but sometimes it's because people are so focused on the content, they forget the like, you know, which book do you want us to mention or yeah. which outlet? Did you switch outlets? And it's like, yeah, I actually did. And yeah. so I think that's a great point. Um, and it matters so much to people that they're introduced correctly and rightly so. Uh, we, what I used to do at the takeaway was I used to ask guests before in my confirmation email to them, I'd ask them, how do you want to be introduced? And I'd let them write it out for me, and then we would take that and we'd put that almost verbatim into the scripts. And at Freakonomics, we have guests, as um, a matter of practice, they introduce themselves. So we will almost never tell the audience who they are. They will say it themselves on tape. Mm. That's smart. Yeah, I would also say one more thing to your point. Like, when you're actually sitting with the person, maybe right before you do the interview, um, one thing that um, Anna does right before interviews, which I think is really great, is she um, will sort of just talk through, she'll remind the people of what the name of the show is and, um, you know, the, the types of things that we cover on the show. Um, and she'll also say, like, if I state a fact incorrectly, you know, we're pre-taped, so this is sort of different, but um, if I state a fact incorrectly in a question, like, just stop me and correct me, and then I'll say it again. Or, you know, sort of making guests feel like they're they're part of this um, and that they, they have, like, control enough to, you know, they can do that, they can correct things. Because um, we want to make sure that what we say in the end is right. Um, so that's something also I think is, you know, before you start the interview, sort of prepping a little bit is important. And as we wrap up, I think another tip is is making sure that um, the experience doesn't end when the interview ends. How you handle follow-up really makes a difference because there are producers that I'm much more willing to, to I've, I've had, there are producers who have been so nice to me and in beforehand during the process and in the follow-up that I've said to them before, are you desperate? If you're desperate and you really need to fill the chair, then I will, I can rearrange something and show up. And I've had people say, yeah, we, you know, someone canceled. We now have a lineup that's all white and male. That was not the plan. We're going to air at this time. And if you really could do it, it would be really great. And the difference between me saying yes and no is often how, not just how the interview, but if I heard from the person after who said it was really great having you on, thank you. And that's the person you remember and you want to go back to and help. So it doesn't just end when you, when the interview wraps, you want to make sure the person had a semi-pleasant experience and knows what they value. So on that note, we hope that you all had a pleasant experience up here as our guest today. Thank you. On the other side of things. Thank you.
and thanks to all of you. Thank you. That was Kelly Goff, Melissa Egan, Irva Gunja, and Katie Bishop speaking at the 2016 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Harnish Foundation. 